Backtalk is an extension of the long-running, award-winning movie review show, It's Movie Time, which airs Fridays at 4.01 and 8.01 p.m. on WCBE 90.5 FM, Columbus, Ohio. Hosted by John DeSando, this podcast version features additional content and banter with guests. I'm John DeSando. And I'm KG Klein. And this is Backtalk. Anytime is time for Napoleon. <laughs> so let's bring that guy back. Oh my gosh. There are very few movies about Napoleon. So this is a real treat because we, we finally get a modern take on the Napoleonic Wars and this fascinating character. Well, we do have some. We have one that I kind of remember with, was it Rod Steiger? Yeah, years yeah. and years ago. And right. then there was a silent movie back in the 20s about him. Yeah, Abel Gantz's. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. wonderful. Yes. yes. All right, but now we have Ridley Scott. This dude is 85 years old. Can you believe he puts out this, this epic now called Napoleon starring Joaquin Phoenix? He is still going strong at wow. 85. I mean, we know him from Alien and Blade Runner <laughs> and Gladiator, and I'm sure that there's a lot of more I modern know. films I'm he not He has thinking. another Gladiator coming, Gladiator 2. Wow. I know, I know. Anyway, Ken, Napoleon. So we expect big things on this from Ridley Scott, who is known for big things. What do we get? We get a movie that is much better than a lot of other critics are saying it is. Ah. It's not perfect. It is not perfect. It has one fatal flaw, and that is Yakeem Phoenix. <laughs> but the rest of the movie is absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And Phoenix is not that bad, but I agree with you. He's weak. I think he was horribly miscast. I, I scratching my head thinking, what was Ridley Scott thinking? Because the real Napoleon was a charismatic figure, adored by his soldiers. I mean, three million French soldiers went to their deaths over 25 years at, at, at his will. Yes. And they did it willingly, merrily yes. off to war yeah. and getting killed. There had to have been something about this guy that, that wanted, made you want to, to follow him. And I'll tell you, Wikim Phoenix does not come across as that person. No, and I, I believe that Ridley Scott toned him down. I think that Phoenix is capable of a much, a much broader and grander interpretation of Napoleon than this. He plays him really low. And, I mean, in battle, all he does is raise his hand yes. for the cannons. He's at his best when he's in the battles not saying anything. <laughs> and when he's standing there just raising his hand and giving, you know, and giving the order. But when he is talking, especially during the scenes between him and Josephine. Oh, boy, you're at the heart of the he problem. He is a whining, sniveling crybaby. <laughs> oh, it just drove me nuts. I would never have considered casting Yakeem Phoenix as Napoleon in this movie. All right, let's go a little bit to the bright side yes. before yes. we emphasize this because you and I are too much on the same line about the casting of Phoenix or the interpretation of Napoleon. But what's the strength of the movie? The strength of the movie is its attention to detail. I mean, it's, it's impossible to deal with the whole 25 years of the Napoleonic Wars in one movie. It was, Stanley Kubrick was going to do a movie about Napoleon, and he finally called it quits when his script got to eight hours long. Mm-hmm. And they'd probably take even more than that to really deal with all of the things. He fought in 61 battles, <laughs> 16 major conflicts, uh, just amazing, amazing person with an amazing history. I'll tell you, that supporting your, your thesis, that little sequence with his horse is an amazing sequence where his horse gets shot with a cannonball. Oh, yes, when he's attacked, the, the Battle of Toulon. Yeah, I, yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's astonishing. First of all, visually accurate, it looks like a hole right in the horse who falls, of course, yeah. immediately. And this guy gets off cool, says something like, I'm okay. Yeah, and then just keeps <laughs> running towards... Yeah, now, I give Ridley Scott a lot of credit for 
putting a lot of details in this movie that only a real history buff is going to pick up on. <laughs> there are things in this movie that he gets exactly, exactly right. Um, and they're just such minor details that if you didn't know what was happening, you, wouldn't, you would miss it. There's the scene when Napoleon is returning from Elba, and he approaches Paris, and he's confronted by the 5th Regiment, which was his regiment at the Battle of Austerlitz. And he manages to just say a couple things, and they turn and join him. They turn on their own general and join yes. Napoleon again. And that is exactly, word for word, what really happened. He Scott nailed it. And so A-plus for attention to and detail. What about when he approaches with his army... Uh, Russia and there's nobody there to greet. Oh, him. the Battle of Moscow. Yeah. yeah, that well, that actually happened. I know. You know, that's uh, there's okay, in the movie of the, all of the great battles. The movie features only three of them. The first is the Battle of Toulon, which is establishing Napoleon as a brigadier general when he takes back from the British this city that had turned to the British. And then the next one is the Battle of Austerlitz, and that is probably the best battle depicted in the film. Crucial, crucial battle. It's known to historians as the Battle of the Three Emperors because he takes on the King of Prussia and the Russian Tsar, and he defeats them both through some masterful planning. It's still considered one of the most brilliant military strategies of, of European history. And the movie does an excellent job of con it condenses it. It's not the full mm -hmm. battle, but it does a great job of bringing to life what that have really happened in that battle. Is this the same one where... On the left flank or right flank, depending on how, how you're looking at it, a whole army comes up, and, and Napoleon says, you know, something to the effect. Well, the, the, his, time yeah, his aides here. comes in and says, Napoleon, we are discovered. And he says, good. <laughs> <laughs> because he had done a very interesting strategy of weakening one of, his, uh, one of his flanks to entice the enemy to attack it, not realizing that that was a trap. And he had his cavalry and his artillery trained on that weak spot just waiting for them to take the bait, and just annihilated them. And as the movie depicts, as they were retreating, they retreated across a frozen lake, and he fired the artillery into the Excellent. lake. Excellent. Unfortunately, the trailer shows that. Yes, yes. And what a great sequence. I mean, these... Beautiful, hard beautifully for me, filmed. Ken, to believe that they didn't know they were on ice and vulnerable. They were running for their lives, uh, and they got out there, and they realized pretty quickly that they were on ice. <laughs> but by that point, and also that by that point, they were a ragtag semblance of the former <laughs> army. He he had the opportunity then to have taken about ninety thousand prisoners, but he chose not to. Some of the things that make me think this is going to be up for an Oscar for cinematography: the way in which he depicts them falling through the ice. Yes, together with yes. their blood. Yeah, and, and the horses and the banners yeah, yeah. and the standards, yes. Yeah, yes. I thought this was really brilliant and probably felt like just the way it was. Yeah, another Oscar that it better win is Best Costumes. Oh, I yeah. can't agree with you more. I was just talking to somebody about the brilliant uh, soldier costumes, particularly the French. My gosh, they're beautiful. The attention to detail is phenomenal. Now, I will say Napoleon's hat is about four times larger than it should be. But apart from Recently that, sold for two two and a half million dollars, one of, his, one of Napoleon's original hats. He had uh, about 11 or so. Oh, over 25 years, he probably had hundreds. Oh, well, but, they, they uh, said, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, that are extant, maybe. There, like that, that still exists, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of Marie Antoinette's outfits that still exist because um, she was having 300 dresses a year made for her. Yeah. But this movie starts out... At the, at the start of the revolution, 
and the the uh, the fall of the French king. We see it, as it opens. We see Marie Antoinette being captured. Then we see her execution. And you got to accept the fact that Napoleon probably wasn't there. He was not there. He was in a whole different part of the country. <laughs> but then. he yeah. was depicted as being there. Right. He was depicted as being there just to try to tie everything yeah. together. And the way they uh, hold up her head. Yeah. Pretty gruesome. Yeah. They got one thing they got wrong is her head had been shaved before she was executed. I but, thought so, her yeah. hair. And she was also just wearing a uh, a sackcloth when she was executed. Was it Anne Boleyn or who who had the snappy comment about my uh please spare my hair because it hasn't done anything? Oh, I, I don't I don't those, recall yeah. that. I, yeah. I, I was expecting it to be Marie Antoinette, and I guess not. No, it must have been somebody but a else. Great comment. But yeah. Not it, my hair. Yeah. Because it hasn't done anything. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it does a very nice job. Now, the film encompasses a 25 year span in two and a half hours, so it has to take a lot of liberties with chronology. We're jumping sometimes five years between scenes, but they do do a nice job of trying to find a connection between the scenes to give the film a framework. And the, the film does focus on Napoleon's relationship with Joseph. We didn't even get to what you and I are mostly concerned about in Napoleon, the relationship between Napoleon and Josephine. Your comments. It's a very cleaned up version, <laughs> and which is funny for me to say that because there's also quite a, a few sex scenes mm. and some very naughty stuff, which is yes. probably the low point of the movie for me. And one of them featured in the trailer, and I can't believe the stuff they reveal in trailers. I know, I yeah, know. Anyway. Yeah, it's the, they've got Napoleon portrayed as this strange fellow uh, aloof aloof moody the the sex scenes are are awful they're really just awful they're a low point for for even Joaquin Phoenix's performance (laughs) but they do a nice job with Josephine although they really take uh, they they pull their punches with her they could have portrayed her much more realistically and probably lost most of the female audience yeah and uh, in this she is an adulteress Yes. Uh, but we don't see any of her other adulteries. Uh, we see her relationship with the uh, French young lieutenant. They take it very easy. They don't point out the fact that she was 11 years older than Napoleon. Mm-hmm. Napoleon, throughout his life, always preferred older women. Mm-hmm. And it, it also is a very, very poor portrayal of Napoleon's relationship with women in general. He's portrayed as something of a misogynist, and he was never that. He was always very, very supportive of women's rights. He liked very smart women. He actually created three women's universities in France Mm -hmm. during his rule because he felt that his generals and lieutenants should have equally smart women assisting them at home. It's just, to me, strange that Scott did not play up the passionate relationship between the two. We do have the letters, and we know that he yeah. wrote copious letters, love oh, letters to many, her. Oh, many, many letters uh, to but her. But in, in the flesh, I just didn't get it's it. It's awkward. Was, yeah. It's awkward. It's, it, it stands out in an otherwise terrific film as some really, really poor scenes. Yes, yeah. Uh, because the, most of us who have gone here know that his, the emphasis was going to be on that. When, when he left, we knew the emphasis was on battle. These scenes are where he also, where Scott differs most from history. The scene when they're uh, writing their divorce mm-hmm. and he actually slaps Josephine? Right. Never. Never. Oh, that, oh. That, is, that event was well recorded in history. They were both very professional because they intended their relationship to continue after the divorce. Yes. It just had to be done so that he could have an heir to the throne. Yes, yes. But he never quarreled with her and he certainly never publicly slapped her. That's yeah. absurd. 
my question to you. Do you know what happened to that child? The child that he had. The young girl? Yes. Oh, yeah. That child um, was raised, was well-supported, and she ended up marrying a vicar and having four kids of her own. And ah. they are among the the ancestry that is still survives to this day of, of Napoleon. But there was no boy. He never had a boy. He, he had a boy and a girl from the um, princess of... Prussia that he married after divorcing um, ah. Josephine. And those two kids were also raised. The boy ended up dying very in battle, I believe. Okay. And the girl ended up having kids, getting married, and another part of his line that continues. The kind of the awkward story in that was his second wife, the Prussian princess. She was no Josephine. She spent money like Marie Antoinette. Ah. And of course, he was off at battle much of this time. She yeah. became known in, the, in, in France as extremely excessive. And then after he was exiled to Elba and then later to St. Helena, she quickly went bankrupt and then spent money in prison as a debtor uh-huh. And and then finally died in poverty and obscurity. Oh, okay, good yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, but no, and uh, and he would say during the end of towards the end of his lifetime that if he wanted anyone to succeed him, the person that he most admired and wanted to succeed him was the daughter Josephine's daughter from her prior marriage. Oh, not even his own child, but yes. he felt that she was the smartest uh-huh. of all of his kids that he had raised, uh-huh. and she was the one he most admired. Oh my God! Elba only lasted about ten months. Yeah, uh, you got to remember it was only six miles off the coast of France. He could see France from his house on Elba, yeah. and they, you know, they were paying him a very substantial amount, and they were paying Josephine a lot of money, hoping that that would please him enough that he would stay put. One thing that the movie does get very wrong, though, is that he found out the news of Josephine's death while he was on Elba. Okay. And that was what prompted him as much to return to France was the, the news that she had died. That at that point, he decided, I got to do something. I'm going to come back. Okay. Um, so it was his, his grief over the loss of Josephine that prompted him to return to Elba. It's not like you see in the movie where he returns to Elba, goes to her house, and then finds out she's died. Okay, all right. And he returns... Is it from Elba that he returns? He returns with his army? from Elba, triumphant, <laughs> gets command of his forces. He has a force of two hundred and fifty thousand people, and he's going to go after the Russian king, and he's going after the Prussian king. And at this point, England's getting involved. And the great yes. story here is the Battle of Waterloo. Uh-huh. And the, the sad thing for Napoleon is he he, he never was going to be able to win this. He was ju- there was just too many against him. Sure, he he was How many overwhelmed. Countries alone against yeah, him? I, you know it, it was it was a force of three hundred thousand against his guy, his people. Now, if things had happened a little differently, he could possibly have won Waterloo, but that would have been a temporary victory. In the end, yes, he because, was he was doomed to lose. Sure, yeah, I think it's a wonderful depiction of. The Duke of Wellington. Oh, yes. All right. Yes, Would Rupert you, Everett. Rupert Everett. He owns think, that scene. I think he, he stole the show from He me. steals the show. He owns it. Well, it's partly because Joaquin Phoenix is doing such and a I terrible gonna, job I, as Napoleon. I was going to say, I was waiting for somebody to lift me, and it was the Duke of Wellington. And Joaquin Phoenix, I have to give him some credit, has a sardonic smirk about him that I like. It's the, that's the, where the underplaying really works. Yeah. Where he's amused by all these people around him who aren't half as bright as he is. And Wellington has a similar smirk to him because he knows he's got Napoleon. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought? You know, here's this, this general knows that he's going to beat this. Oh, yeah. And he's just, he's just reveling in it. But it's all <laughs> internal. And yeah. Rupert Everett's role, his performance is so internalized. 
and you're getting just glimpses. You know yes. he's a smart guy. Probably <laughs> not as smart as Napoleon. Right, oh, yeah. But he and knows he, he has the forces. He yeah, he knows he has the forces to win, and he's watching Napoleon's downfall. Yes, yes, from, yeah. from up on a hill. Now, it's curious in that movie. There's one little scene in the, in the Waterloo battle where there's a sniper next to Wellington who has a shot at Napoleon. Yes. And uh, Wellington says, no, the generals have much more to be concerned about than killing one another. It's a great moment, but if you know your history, you know that Lord Nelson, during the Battle of Trafalgar, was killed by a French sniper ah. who, who took him out deliberately during the course of the battle. That was the great loss for Britain in the Battle of Trafalgar, was they, didn't, they won a dramatic victory, but they lost Nelson. Ah. So there's a certain irony to that, that Wellington says, no, I'm not going to use a sniper to shoot and kill Napoleon, despite the fact that years earlier... Napoleon's forces, he used a sniper to kill, out, to kill Nelson. Now, Ken, we're at that time of year when I thought Napoleon was going to be a contender for the Oscar. It's going to be a contender for some Oscars. Okay. Uh, now, as far as the big picture goes? I think it's going to get nominated for Best Picture, but it has no hope of winning. All right. And why not? It, partly because of Keem Phoenix's uh, performance. Okay. I, it, it so impacts the film. It takes the viewer out of the authenticity of the moment okay. because he's not being true to Napoleon. Well, what, everybody else is. What about the other big guns like uh, Killers and Barbie? Okay, for the Oscars this year, I think Barbie, I get a lot of flack for this, but I think Barbie is still the front runner. And I do think yeah. you're wrong, but I, but I think she, it is a contender, and I would be very happy if you were right. The films that we have not seen yet that are still contenders is Poor Things. Poor yes. Things is getting phenomenal reviews yes. out of the couple of yes. film... Uh, with Emma Stone. Uh, yes, with Emma Stone. Yeah. Uh, the, the couple of film festivals it's played at is getting terrific reviews. Yeah. And we still have not seen Hayao Miyazaki's Boy and the Heron. And I would be thrilled. No one would be happier than me if Boy and the Heron not only gets nominated for Best Animated Picture, but also gets nominated for Best Picture. Again, you're such a good optimist. Uh, It'll never (laughs) make it because it is... It is an Asian film, even by a great director. It's not... Well, look at Parasite. Yes, but that wasn't an animation. (laughs) It wasn't an animation. Yeah, I know. Now, tell me about uh, Bradley Cooper's... Maestro. Maestro. Okay, Maestro is getting good reviews, but not great reviews. Uh. But there is a lot of talk that the actress in the film is going to get a Best Actress nomination. Good, yes. Yeah. So, uh, and, and Mulligan? Is that yeah, 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 Carrie Mulligan. They yeah. said she is so phenomenal in Maestro Good. that she may be the new frontrunner and possibly take it away from Margot Robbie. I notice how you always avoid my mentioning Killers of the Flower Moon. Killers is going to get nominated for Best Picture, Best yeah. Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Actress. <laughs> it, I don't think it's got a chance at Best Picture. I think it's got a good chance of winning Best Actress. For Lily Gladstone, her her performance was very subtle and very touching, and I think it was also going to bring some diversity to the uh, to the yeah, yeah, to the yeah, ceremony. Yeah, yeah. So I would be surprised if Gladstone doesn't take it at this point. Okay, and I would just end by saying that Killers is my favorite of the year, mm-hmm. and I'm from your preview of Maestro. Possible that Maestro is not going to be the contender. No. I thought it would no. be. Uh, so I still am left with killers, even though I so admire your Barbie, like your Miyazaki. 
I think it's a little bit out there for your regular. The, the only upset still waiting in the wings is little th- or poor things. And we poor haven't things. seen poor things yet. And I'm wondering if poor things doesn't sound a bit too quirky. For I, it's not going to be a best picture yeah, contender. I know it, I it, know it definitely is not. Best picture. Might get yeah. best, actress. best picture is going to come down to Oppenheimer, Barbie, and Flower Moon. Okay. If we've got people wanting to know, you know, should we see this film or not? What's your advice? I would see it. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I would definitely see it. If you're at all interested in history, if you like period dramas, yes, and if you're a Ridley Scott fan, go see it. Yes, you're go right. Go see it. Just be prepared. You're not probably not going to like Joaquin Phoenix yeah. as Napoleon, but when the battles are raging, that's quickly forgotten.